In this episode of What the Prophets Say with me, Emma Stark and Sam Robertson, we are continuing to push our love of controversy in shaking the church with the difference between what is a victorious biblical church and what is a tragically non-biblical successful church. Jump in with us in this conversation. Welcome to another episode of What the Prophets Say with me, Emma Stark. I'm joined once again by my colleague and friend, Sam Robertson, the prophet Sam Robertson. And of course, you've listened to us a few times now. You'll know that he is Scottish and very I am Scottish. I, very Scottish. Uh, his accent may need a gift of interpretation uh, for some do. of you. Yep. And I am from the island of Ireland. Uh, just a little bit more information about ourselves. I'm actually a fifth generation Bible teacher, come from a long line of theologians. And about 15 years ago, my husband and I started a ministry, the Global Prophetic Alliance, really to activate and train people into hearing the voice of God, into healing and into deliverance ministry. I also run the British Isles Council of Prophets with some friends and I'm responsible for the well-being of the prophets in the nation of Great Britain. So, Sam, do you want to tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, so I'm the director of broadcasting within the Global Prophetic Alliance. As we said in our first episode, I've been here working alongside Dave and Emma for almost a decade uh, coming up there. I left school and came straight into ministry. Um, And it's my joy to be on shows like Power Hour, but also just to do a lot of prophesying, a lot of deliverance, preaching. Um, I'm also a member of the British Isles Council of Prophets, which Emma runs, and that's just a joy to be part of the family of prophets in uh, the British Isles. And we get to obviously do lots of fun things like this. And we like to be a resource, don't we, to, to you? Yes, and I think, you know, between us and our family lines, we've years and years of being in the church, around the church, yeah. leading the church, and with a great passion for the church. Totally. I think raised in a ministry family, what it put into me was a love for the church. Yeah, I love that. And despite the fact that she's going through her biggest changes, mm. we are those who adore her. Completely. And despite the fact that there have been moments of great pain in that journey, at the core of who we are is... We love the church, we love the church, we love the church. I think that's so important that if you have fallen out of love with the church or you are offended with her, Mm. you are going to have to hurdle that. Yes. Because Jesus is coming back to marry the bride, his church, his body. Yeah. And when you get outside of relationship with the people of God, you are in a very dangerous place. And I know church is hurt because we've all been hurt by church we've all walked through it and yet here we are loving her and serving her Mm. and that really matters that we don't lose the passion for the bride Mm. of christ and it's not it's not a static thing that you get love for the church one day and you just keep it there actually it's a love that you continually choose and you continually choose to develop on particularly those moments where maybe there's a reason where you couldn't or you don't want to no i choose to love the church i choose to love the church continually as a lifestyle yes and what i find is a top tip is that if somebody has wounded you or hurt you or a church has rejected you, the fastest way to deal with that, and we've led hundreds of people through this activation over the years, is 
ask God how he is going to bless that person, that church, yeah. and then prophesy it. The Spirit of the Lord says he is going to, and it has to be about blessing. Totally. And as you release a blessing of God, you actually free your heart up from often quite a stuck and frozen place Absolutely. in pain. It's quite a miraculous activation, actually. Yes. We've seen it shift people out of deep pain and resentment of the church in a matter of seconds, a matter of minutes, into being able to start to love and walk towards the church again. And so what matters to us as prophets is that we are embedded with the people of God yeah. and for the people of God and that we are local church leaders as much as we are itinerant prophets or authors because we've, we've authored many books and so actually if you go to our website propheticscots.com you'll see the one that you and I co-authored with my husband and my father which is a devotional book called Lion Bites, Lion Bites. Uh, and then I've written the Prophetic Warrior and yeah. Freedom from Fear Freedom from books fear. and of course there's the e-course as well the mm -hmm. Prophetic Warrior so we want to be a resource to you in addition to this but today we're going to jump in Ooh. to talk about the successful church versus the victorious yeah, this church. This is going to be a good one. This is, and actually I think we'll take this session and the next session on it because there's so much uh, detail here. Let's start with this. I think in the successful church, the aim has always been, oh, let's get a church building as the cornerstone of modern Western community. <laughs> Yeah. We want the building. We want actually a... Uh, now, we know facilities facilitate, so we, we honour that. But that is the successful church model. Visibility, prominence in the community. Yeah. But actually, I think biblically in the victorious church, the church thrives under persecution. Yeah. And the church is not necessarily accepted by society as a pillar of society. The church is compelling by being beautifully intolerant. Yeah, that's so good. So this sense of the church's call to thrive under persecution and to be beautifully intolerant is where she is victorious. Mm, so important. And I think in the successful church, um, the church looks for the world to say she's credible. The church wants the world's mark of credibility uh, by, by all sorts of projects and buildings. But actually, in the victorious church, all that matters is that God sees you as credible. God sees you as trustworthy. God sees you as a people after his heart. And that happens in persecution. That happens in pressure. That happens when actually there's fingers pointed and there's disagreements um, from the world or there's, there's that. And actually, in that place, your message shines all the more brightly and um, because it's not convenient it's not easy it's sometimes i mean it is hard we've got to say it is hard but that is where the message of christ flourishes it, it's the sense for me that when we look at the two kingdoms and we're back repetitively to this underpinning truth there are two yeah. kingdoms there i mean we want to shout it tattoo it to the inside of your eyes <laughs> yes. there are two kingdoms the kingdom of god and the kingdom of darkness and are the kingdoms of this world and the sense is that 
Peter and James and John and the disciples were not killed and martyred because they sang nice worship songs. <laughs> they were not beheaded, cut in half or boiled in oil because they just loved Jesus. They actually faced persecution because they were a threat to the culture. They faced persecution because they were counterculture. Absolutely. They were a threat to a kingdom. Come on. And they were preaching a kingdom message of there is a kingdom that you can join. You join it by yeah. getting saved and acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord, but it's a kingdom and therefore it is a threat to what Absolutely. is established. And so the kingdom of God is an advancing threat to the kingdom of darkness. And therefore, it is beautifully intolerant to the kingdom of darkness. And it thrives in persecution and yeah. rejection. Can I say, I don't think most of us are worthy of persecution yet. Wow, there's a statement. I don't think we are radically counterculture hmm. enough wow. to be seen as a threat. Wow, wow, wow. And that's that. That's just massively uh, challenging to us all. You see, the successful church wants to be celebrated and wants to avoid battles. Yeah. But the victorious church understands that it must be persecuted and it must confront strongholds. Come on. So important. And actually, we're not worthy yet of the comment that was made about the disciples also being made about us. Who are these that are turning the world upside down? And I think that should be the continual remark from the world towards the church. Who are these who are turning the world upside down? Who are these that are living from another planet, from another world, from another perspective, who are not like us? And I think the radicalness, the, the, the absolute audacity of the early church of the disciples has been missing those principles are missing from even our our, our church and our daily Christian lives they were so different so different they didn't blend in they were noticeably different not just by their conversations but how they dressed how they talked how they sounded how they did life and that same level of of, of radical courage to live your life from another world is what we need in today's i suppose church. for me what fascinates me is the kingdom of god's revolutionary position absolutely it is revolutionary to everything round about everything. it everything it is not seeking acceptability it is not seeking the blessing of the state it is not seeking permission mm. from politics it is not even seeking necessarily law change and this is going to be very very controversial what we're going to, to touch now because the successful church which we do not want to be wants to partner with the world and particularly it wants a partnership with politics because it wants politics to work with it yeah. to quash heresy and it's saying, oh, politicians, oh, presidents, oh, prime ministers, you marry in with the church or the church, you marry in with politics. You form this double act where heresy is dealt with by law change. 
And it means that the church gets into bed in a demonic marriage to politics where church and state wed. And we are saying to the, to the, the politicians, you change the law to back us and you come into partnership with us. And that is like saying, kingdom of God, marry Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. And we are, are so stuck in this frame of mind where we are expecting a worldly structure to generate what only a kingdom of God structure can. We're expecting worldly systems to produce what only a king and the king can. And politics never can never generate righteousness. It can never produce righteousness in the people of God. That is the Romans 14 principle of the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those things only come out of the kingdom of God and come out of living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I think we love to abdicate. We love to abdicate our responsibility because actually saying you over there in power, you do that means I don't have to do anything, means I don't have to put my neck on the line. But actually God is saying, no church, you're meant to set the standard. You're meant to hold an atmosphere of righteousness that then starts to shadow people who want to choose righteously, not because a law told them to, but because their heart tells them to. I mean, this this just needs a whoo moment yeah. and a regroup thinking because this is so different to our church culture. Oh, absolutely. Which is so woven with the Herodian spirit, yeah. which Jesus warns about. He says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and beware the leaven of Herod. In other words, he's saying, Jesus is saying to the church, don't you dare partner with the religious spirit yeah. and don't you dare partner with the political spirit. And this warning, now, you know, yes, we're prophets or, and you're not hearing us say, thus says the Lord, but this is a thus says the yeah. Lord moment where Jesus is saying, don't you dare get obsessed with politics don't you dare back politics yep. don't you dare think that politics brings a nation to righteousness it does not wow. and it cannot and it never will because what you do in that is you make your political leader your savior yep. rather than jesus christ yep. and what you do in that is you come into a sin where you think law change saves nations and can we just say in scripture Law never saves anybody. Come on. Never. And it never changes a heart. And it never changes the inside of an individual to love righteousness. Actually, you know, we, we talk about that often. The nations that, that have what we would say the most righteous laws are not nations that we would call are righteous themselves. Well, I mean, let's name them. I mean, let's talk about Saudi Arabia. Absolutely. So Saudi Arabia has abortion banned, homosexuality banned, pornography uh, LGBT, yep. you know, no all alcohol of, rules, no, alcohol. no drugs. Yeah. Yes, it's very what we would consider more moral, moral laws. Yeah, conservative. Con moral conservative laws. Yep. Does it make the nation before God righteous? You wouldn't say Saudi Arabia was a righteous nation because law doesn't make you, know, you righteous because the people's hearts choose differently. So can we just get this really close to home to the Western world? And let's talk about abortion. Mm. Now, I mean, you know, Sam, but for the listeners, when I first um, graduated my first degree and I went to, to London to work, this would be about 20, 
four years ago, first married, been married 24 years. Uh, I worked for a pro-life charity and my job was the radio and media and television work uh, commenting on uh, pro-life anti-abortion um, stuff. Yeah. And I was well used to the debate programs and the cut and thrust of the the news. Uh, at that point, they had just discovered the abortion breast cancer link mm. and they had just discovered um, some problems with some contraceptives where fertility didn't return afterwards. So it was a very robust anti-abortion pro-life comment that I was involved in. And I make that point to say that I know this world and I trained as a pre and post abortion counselor and I've taken more women through post-abortion counseling when they come into the life office and they yeah. come into an anti-abortion world realizing that they've killed their own children and the process of helping a, ch a woman grieve mm. for the death of her own child yeah. at her own hand is a, a, a traumatic experience, experience but also yeah. a privilege to yeah. do so i sat on that side of you know sitting with women to write letters yeah. of repentance to their uh, their unborn children wow. and um then they would give me the letters and we would weep together yeah at how women had made their pro-abortion decisions. Wow, 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 wow. And some very unusual cases mm. in there um, and, uh, and ways women had come to choose abortion. Mm. And here I am, a political lobbyist and working with political parties uh, my degree at that point, my first degree was politics and mm. sociology. I was used to thinking about social policy and lobbying. And I came to this understanding that I could change the law and change no heart. Wow. And that sense that how would righteousness come into the nation by working with these women revealing Christ to them in a revolutionary way and the abortion law would become obsolete. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter because nobody would choose it. Totally. Because, let me say it again, law doesn't make anybody righteous. Absolutely. Now, in fact, I think some of our anti-abortion lobbying is more Islamic in orientation than Christian. Mm. Yes, I did say that. It's more Muslim in orientation because the Muslim community, with their Sharia law understanding, want to enforce morality from the top down. Totally. Whereas Jesus Christ brings morality from the bottom up, from yep. a heart change. Absolutely. So by all means, you need political lobbyists, and I was one. Yeah. And you need the conversation about right and wrong very much in the public arena. But you must not be deceived that politics will make a nation righteous or Absolutely. law change. And you must not be deceived that you need politics to back you. No, you need to be a counterculture movement Come on. who speak truth to power. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And you must not, it's not that we're saying don't lobby or don't speak out, just don't hang your hope on it. Don't hang your hope on politics to save you or politics to save a people. You would rather that people chose from their heart with righteousness as a motivation than being forced by law, but in their heart rebelling against righteousness because of what's going on. I think as well, this comes right down to our total misunderstanding of what a nation is and who a nation is. And let me just put a kind of a test out there. When you close your eyes and you think about a nation, do you see its structures and its government first or do you see the faces of people first? When you think or go to pray about a nation, are you praying about first its government and structures or are you praying first about its people? When you go to prophesy about a nation, are your eyes first on its government and structures or are they on people. Ultimately, in the Bible, a nation is not its government, a nation is not its structures, a nation is people. And the Israelites were the Israelites, no matter where they were. And that's, that, that is nations. So when I close my eyes and I think about, you know, South America, I want to first see the faces of South American people, not all the governments and all the structures. And from that place, there may be a moment where I have a word to a structure, but it comes out of a love for people first. And when you, as a prophetic person, whether you're a prophet listening or you're just a prophetic person or you just like to pray, whenever that comes out of seeing people and a love for people, there's a different type of of authority you have there to actually change hearts to choose righteousness. I mean, that's very important. I mean, we're in some really meaty waters here because we have to know where did God put governmental authority? So important. And the answer is... On us. (laughs) On Matthew 16. He says, I will build my... Ecclesia. Ecclesia or Ecclesia, depending on your, your European or American pronunciation. Ecclesia, Ecclesia. But God says, I will, I will build my Ecclesia, my Ecclesia, my governing yeah. Senate. And here God says, look, I give permission to politics. I give permission to entertainment. I give yeah. permission to economy, business. Yeah. I give permission to economy. I give permission to healthcare. Family, yeah. I give permission to the family to do some things. But the only place I put governmental weight is on the church. Absolutely. To shape and to shift and to change and to build. So the church, I think, is looking to politics and saying, you govern us. And God is saying, no, 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 no. That's politics. Church, I gave you the governmental anointing. Absolutely. Don't abdicate it. (laughs) Don't abdicate it. Don't abdicate that you shadow a nation. Absolutely. Come on. And that you set the tone. Absolutely. And if the church is utterly obsessed with politics... It loses its power by giving away a vote to politics, by abdicating its place in the nation, and then by getting politically obsessed rather than saying, how can I build the kingdom of God? And you've you've made God small. You've you've put God in a box which says he can only change a nation through a human structure. He can only change a nation through a political office. Actually, he changes nations through who? People. Nations are made up of people and nations get changed by his power on his people who know how to use their authority. So stop looking to political offices or places of worldly power as the place to hang your hope on. Yes, and I think, the I mean, this is strident and strong stuff here because we see as prophets sitting here in Europe some major problems. Mm-hmm. 
We see major, major errors in the people of God who have so much hope in the political system. Absolutely. And yet the Bible says, put your hope in God. Come on, come on. It's he who will not let your foot slip. Absolutely. And how do you test if you put too much hope in, you know, a person or a, a political office or a political party? Well, when they don't get in or it doesn't go the way you want, are you disproportionately shaken? You're devastated. Are you devastated? Yeah. And, uh, 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 and do you try and put everything behind changing or, 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 or you feel like you're so traumatized by it that you can't see beyond it? You see, I think what this speaks to is the powerlessness of the church. Totally. If the church understood what Acts 1, 8 says, that you shall be filled with power when the Spirit comes, we would be having a different conversation. And I do not mean power to dominate. No. I mean power to liberate. So, for example, if you knew that you were dying and you have a disease. Now, we love hospitals and they're not a second-rate option. I mean, and and doctors are not a second-rate answer. But God doesn't want you to go to them first. He wants you to come to him first. So where do you go? You go to his power-filled people who deal with your physical infirmity and the church becomes the bastion of healing the standard of life the standard of well-being the church is powerful by its healing power and testimony for healing all diseases and yes medicine is there and it's not second rate we don't say that at all but it is the second option. Absolutely. And so what we do is we go to it first. And then when all else fails, we say, have you tried praying? And God, <laughs> so is, true. And God is saying, hang on a minute. No, 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 no. The church is the government. The church is my power. Therefore, if you have a need that requires transformation, breakthrough and turnaround, you run to the powerful people who are powerful in Jesus' name and because of his blood. Absolutely. I mean, how many times... I mean, we, you could pro- we could probably shake our heads at it. Is there conversations that we hear about uh, church multiplication strategies? How do we grow our churches? Oh. How do and, and we have every sort of strategy, every sort of way. This is how long your worship needs to be. This is what your lighting needs to look like. You need to have these sorts of faces on your front door. Now, I, I, some of these stuff are, are secondary and it is nice to look at. But at the end of the day, you read the New Testament and every single time it talks about the church multiplying. It talks about the church multiplying what? And the apostles teaching, which means they knew truth. They were being baptized and baptism in that time was they took that as a sign of we're leaving the world and entering the kingdom of God. So they lived as citizens of other of another world and all the sick were coming and they were being healed. So what is as a church of power, a church of truth and a church who know that they belong in the kingdom of God. And that was that's the New Testament multiplication strategy right there. I mean, you're right. We do not want strategies for bums on seats. for numerical growth but with an increase of powerlessness where you have to lean into politics to back you absolutely that that, that's that's nonsense right there and actually in the old testament the membership of the nation of the israelite nation was circumcision Mm. but in the new testament it is believers baptism that is your membership of the kingdom of god and we are back round to there are two kingdoms so you're baptized 
believers baptism into membership of a kingdom absolutely where actually you rule and reign with its power yeah and that then speaks truth to politics Come on. and holds them to a standard of integrity absolutely and actually you're saying look we have answers here <laughs> and the answer is not that we surrender you our vote and back you but the answer is we tell better stories we have hollywood you know our christian version of it we have a christian banking system we have christian miracle yeah. signs and wonders we have the word of the lord so you don't need some kind of you know non-christian life coach or guru to help you you've got the prophets who give you timings the prophets who give you directions you've got the apostles who send you into your call you've got the power of god for every ill and disease yep. and need that you have you've got the provision of god who would not want to run away from the kingdoms of this world, turn their back on politics because the church of power, the church of the kingdom was delivering all of these things. Absolutely. And we are serving Satan. I am being very strong here. We are serving Satan by loving politics more than we love the kingdom of God. Come on. Oh, totally, totally. And we, we are serving Satan because we then abdicate time and time again to these people to to these offices to these places to make decisions on our behalf and the job of the church isn't just to point the fingers uh, at the kingdoms of this world and say isn't that so bad but it's to be so brilliant and offer such an alternative the better way the best way the jesus way that just by being so brilliantly in the image of christ people will naturally look at the world they'll look at the church and they'll think well, there's no option here. I want to be part of this liberation force. If that's yes. where my body gets healed, I'm going there. If that's where my depression gets healed, I'm going there. If that's where there's true care and nurture and belonging, well, I'm going there. It's to make, by our stewarding of the power of God, the world look foolish in comparison to the kingdom of God. We couldn't overemphasize this, Sam, because there is this sense that God is correcting and removing his favor from yeah. churches with political allegiances one i think that is the key one of the key activities of of god right now and it, it is ruthless it's painful but he's saying i'm not i'm not gonna have this anymore i'm not gonna tolerate this partnership where you preach politics rather than the kingdom yep, totally oh can i say when jesus says you know you brood of vipers mm. you know at, at talking to the pharisees yeah. where where even it says oh you know you foolish galatians who has bewitched you and we think gentle jesus meek and mild <laughs> and here we have these concepts of yeah. you whitewashed fools you know you foolish galatians you're totally be bewitched and i think jesus is standing at the door of the western church saying you are bewitched you foolish Western church, you are bewitched. You are deceived by witchcraft because you believe that backing politics and preaching politics from the pulpit is in some way going to change mm. and shape your nation. And it is not. It is not how the kingdom of God comes. Law doesn't save anybody. It is not how righteousness enters a nation. And you are ones who cannot cope with my weight of glory and my presence 
presence because you are backing the wrong kingdom. Come on. And it's this is not about backing the wrong party. This is not about one side or another side. This is not about left or right. This is about we back the kingdom of God. Yes. And it's ironic, I think, if we were both to chat honestly, the, the words that we've released that have got the most hate or the most awful response have often been those that have said, it's actually not about politics or it's not about this or or get your eyes up on the kingdom of God and they often are the ones that are the most the most the, the, the most rejected um, and so it's something that we're we're used to talking about I think this really comes right down to God exposing where our hope truly lies yes does it truly rely on Jesus or does it rely on on a party or a system. Let me tell you, if the stock market crashes and you're disproportionately shaken, if there's a health crisis and you're disproportionately shaken, if your party or your 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 person that you wanted in office and your he doesn't get in and you're disproportionately shaking, I think God is saying your hope actually isn't fully on Jesus there, and that is a a a, a, a an exposing force. I think that God. If God knows en masse a people's hope is in the wrong place, he'll let some of those things happen so that yeah. they can be reoriented back to hope in Christ. Selah, I think is what the psalmist would say. There we go. Selah. So uh, thank you for letting us press your buttons yes. in this. Ooh. And we are going to, in our next episode, keep pushing this difference between the successful church and the victorious church. So thank you for joining us on another episode of What the Prophets Say with Emma Stark and Sam Robertson. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of What the Prophets Say with me, Emma Stark. You clearly ooze stamina. May I gently encourage you to jump over to our website, propheticscots.com, where you can download my e-course, The Prophetic Warrior, nine highly interactive sessions that will equip and train you to hear the voice of God with ease. Make sure that you subscribe and like and share this podcast. You don't want to miss all the things we have coming up for you.